please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. The debate of whether we're in a recession is still going. We'll tell you about some recession-resistant stocks. Plus, Morningstar's Director of Personal Finance, Christine Benz, will share tips on where to park your cash to earn more. And a proposed rule could reshape the gig economy. Our analyst weighs in on how it could affect Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash. This is Investing Insights. Welcome to Investing Insights. I'm your host, Ivana Hampton. And let's get us started with a look at the Morningstar headlines. The U.S. may or may not be in a recession, depending on how you look at a mix of economic indicators. Morningstar's U.S. economist, Preston Caldwell, doesn't think so. He says while a recession isn't here yet, growth is slowing. And given all the talk, investors may be thinking about adding some recession-resistant stocks to their portfolios. Companies with recession-resistant stocks offer products and services consumers continue to buy, no matter the economic climate. And they often have competitive advantages that allow them to maintain reliable cash flows over time. These companies share similar qualities, like being relatively immune to economic cycles. They tend to have durable competitive advantages or economic moats. And those wide moats help strengthen their financial health and profitability making them ideal during tough economic times. We are highlighting a list of 10 stocks that fit our definition of recession-resistant. Three of them are Anheuser-Busch InBev, Sanofi, and Dominion Energy. Check out the show notes to see the full list of 10 stocks for a recession. Wells Fargo missed the mark for third quarter earnings due to volatile operating losses. The bank reported earnings per share of $0.85, and that fell below Morningstar and other analyst estimates. And we think a bump in operating losses drove the dip in profits on an earnings per share basis. Wells Fargo is working through legal and regulatory issues. And operating losses aside, it was generally a strong quarter for the bank. Adjusted expenses would have come in below our estimate, while net interest income and fees both outperformed our forecast. The expense outlook will remain a key story for Wells Fargo as it works through its turnaround. We estimate a stock is worth $58 and believe it's cheap among our U.S. banking coverage. Delta Airlines reported a strong third quarter, despite much higher fuel prices and a drop in capacity. Air travel demand remained strong, and Delta saw more international travel activity. In fact, international travel almost reached 2019 levels, with unit revenue growth exceeding the domestic market for the first time since before the pandemic and the debate continues over business travel's rebound. The Atlanta-based airline says corporate sales weren't too far off from 2019 levels at the end of the third quarter. And corporate surveys show that most accounts plan to maintain or increase business travel during the fourth quarter. While operating costs remain elevated, strong pricing supported another quarter of solid profitability. Delta's trend of double-digit operating margins could continue during the fourth quarter. Morningstar is keeping his $57 estimate of what it thinks the stock is worth. A proposed rule could shift some gig workers' status from independent contractors to employees. The Biden administration is looking to replace rules from the Trump era. The Labor Department proposal has drawn attention to companies with rise share food delivery drivers. Ali Mogarabi is a senior equity analyst for Morningstar Research Services, and he covers the three companies we're going to talk about. Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash. 
Ali, the Labor Department proposal focuses on how workers should be classified. Some companies say gig workers like schedule flexibility and the pay opportunities, and others have argued that the gig economy leaves these workers without certain protections. How is this proposed rule fitting into the debate? Yeah, I mean, in terms of fitting into this debate, uh, while the proposal now requires multiple factors to be considered to, to classify workers, uh, those additional factors are also going to make it more difficult um, and debatable when trying to conclude whether someone is a contractor or an employee. You know, th this framework was a little bit different in what the Labor Department proposed at the end of the Donald Trump presidency, which was, you know, while various factors should be taken into consideration, uh, two of them should be the main ones or more heavily weighted uh, when making the decision. And, and those two were whether there's an opportunity uh, for the worker to profit or, 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 or lose money and the degree of control that the business has over that worker. So if those two were met, then the other factors didn't need to be considered. Uh, but what's happening now is under the new proposal, all the factors have to be pretty much equally weighted when making a decision. Uh, when considering all those factors, I actually think it'll muddy the you know the the worker classification uh, process. Uh, it creates difficulties for courts. It lengthens the overall legal process. Uh, as you can imagine, appeals from both sides become more likely. Um, of course, you know, and during such a lengthy process at the federal level, um, you know, the companies could actually take advantage of opportunities to reach compromises with different states and or actually get support from the voters. Well, you recently wrote about the proposal's main risk, and you pointed out that it comes down to who sets the prices. Can you explain that? Yes. I mean, in terms of the biggest risk, we do think it's price setting, uh, and that represents that mainly because contractors usually, you know, a contractor is usually able to set the price for his or her service, right? Uh, in the case of these platforms, it's the platform that sets the price. And, but those prices are based on various factors. Uh, for example, uh, prices for rides are based on, of course, you know, supply and demand, also based on the current state of the traffic as it's uh, related to the locations, uh, weather conditions, the number of drivers already out there on that platform at that time, uh, location of the nearest driver, and, and so forth. So, with all of so all of this, actually does benefit the driver, in our opinion. You know, the matchmaking platform are the ones that are setting the price, though. Uh, so, but various options are given to the drivers recently so for example you know uber drivers do see how much they can make before accepting a ride uh, and of course they can choose not to take it uh, they can also see multiple trip requests before accepting one so more control and, and transparency is giving given to the drivers on, on that front so i think that the companies are moving more towards uh, providing again more control and transparency to the drivers Gig economy companies, their business model depends on independent contractors operating as freelancers. And it seems like if there's a change in how you classify workers, that it could affect the business model. How so? Yes, certainly. I mean, a change will affect the business model uh, you know, as the platform operators will have to provide additional benefits uh, for the drivers or couriers. Uh, which certainly increases the cost of services for the platforms. Uh, they'll have to bear more of the possible liabilities in terms of accidents and, and other things. Uh, more costs related to the vehicles will be borne by the uh, by the platforms. 
And, and given those costs, a lot of it can be passed on to the consumers. So prices likely will surge, possibly actually lowering demand for usage of the platforms. Uh, and all of that, you know, you put all of that together, basically you could see a lot of pressure on those companies' margins. Now, on the on the driver side, with all of what I just said, uh, wages will decline, likely matching minimum wage um, levels, but without much upside for them. So, so yes, it impacts the model uh, and doesn't necessarily benefit the drivers. And, and I got to say, the most important part, the flexibility in terms of when to work or work for more than one platform or which requests to accept and so forth, that flexibility uh, will no longer be available for the drivers. And when this proposal dropped, a lot of tension went to three companies, Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash. What is their reaction to this? Yeah, I mean, overall, the companies have reacted pretty well. Uh, they were probably expecting such a proposal. Uh, but also, let's not forget that, you know, what the labor department wants right now or has proposed is not very different from what was there during the Obama administration, actually, and through the end of the Trump of Trump's term. Uh, and of course, during that time, all of those companies did pretty well. Uh, I, I think they are all well prepared for a from a legal standpoint, you know, if needed. And at the same time, they continue to uh, have discussions at the Muni and, and state levels. And as I mentioned before, to possibly reach compromise and or to allow the voters uh, to make a decision. So what is your view of these stock companies prices today? Yeah, I think all of all three stocks are attractive uh, as they're trading at a big discount to my fair value estimates uh, out of the three. I like Uber the most, as it is actually built on its strong network effect moat source and did that during the pandemic. Uh, its business is a little bit more diversified as it provides not only mobility services, but also delivery from which it certainly benefited during the pandemic. Uh, its network effect also has helped it recover uh, those drivers a little bit more quickly and at a lower cost than, uh, for example, Lyft. Uh, and of course, from a profitability standpoint, it continues to uh, progress as it now is generating uh, positive adjusted EBITDA and, of course, uh, free cash flow. Uh, and you know, we still expect it from, an, uh, from a gap standpoint to reach profitability in uh, 2024. All right, Ali, thanks for your time and your insights today. Sure. You can earn a higher return on your safe money because of higher interest rates. However, there are some trade-offs to consider before deciding on where to park your cash. Here's Morningstar Inc.'s Director of Personal Finance, Christine Benz, and Morningstar Inc.'s Director of Content, Susan Jabinski. Hi, I'm Susan Jabinski with Morningstar. Rising interest rates have taken a toll on the stock and bond markets this year, but there is a silver lining. Many savings vehicles now offer higher yields than they have in a long time. Joining me today to discuss the best places to park your cash as interest rates rise is Christine Benz. She's Morningstar's Director of Personal Finance and Retirement Planning. Good to see you, Christine. Thanks for being here. Hi, Susan. It's great to be here. So now before we get into the specifics of, okay, where people should be thinking about putting their safe investments, um, how much should people really have in cash these days? You know, that's sort of a big question. And you know, this year, considering what we've seen in the stock and bond markets, maybe some people wish they had a little bit more in cash than they originally did. Absolutely. And it's such a good question, Susan. It's important to not overdo cash savings, mainly because on an inflation-adjusted basis, this is dead money. So you want to be careful. But I do like the idea of people thinking about life stage and using that to influence how much cash they hold. So the old rule of thumb for people who are still working is to have an emergency cushion 
inflation equal to three to six months worth of living expenses. That's a good starting point, but I like the idea of fine-tuning it. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you're the sole earner in your family, that's an argument for having a little more, maybe a little closer to a year's worth of liquid reserves. Uh, if you're an older worker, we know ageism is a thing. We know older adults sometimes are not able to continue working as long as they might have hoped. Um, if you're a high-income worker, you'd probably want to have a little bit more of a cash cushion set aside because we know that higher-income workers often have narrower focuses for their jobs. It often takes longer to replace those positions. So I, I would think of those groups as having a little closer to a year's worth of liquid reserves, assuming they're still working. For retirees, I've long been a fan of the bucket mm -hmm. approach where you've got one to two years worth of portfolio withdrawals set aside in cash reserves. I like the idea of using your portfolio withdrawals as kind of a yardstick to drive how much to hold in each of the buckets. And so if you have that cash bucket, you would hold probably one to two years worth of portfolio withdrawals, probably not a lot more than that. So then you think, let's talk a little bit about, you know, finding perhaps higher yields for your, for your safe um, investments. And you think there are three key factors that investors really need to be thinking about when they're considering this. What are they? Right. So yield, certainly. It's hard to ignore yield, and that's what we're all looking for and talking about. But you want to keep that in mind alongside liquidity. So oftentimes when you see higher yields, so for example, CDs are a great mm -hmm. example of that. Certificates of deposit where the longer the CD term is, the higher the yield. Well, that that's, that's a liquidity constraint, mm -hmm. right? If you can't tap into your funds for five years, that's a trade-off on the liquidity front. And then guarantees are another thing to keep in mind, that many cash-type instruments are indeed covered by FDIC protections. Money market mutual funds, on the other hand, they're a commonly held cash account, very safe in practical terms, but they are not uh, covered by those FDIC FDIC guarantees. So keep those three things on your dashboard, yield, liquidity, and guarantees. So let's go through some of the specific ideas, starting maybe for the best options for people who are looking for yield but do need regular access to that money. What, what are some options for them? My go-to for quite a while has been an, some sort of an online savings account. You can hop onto Bankrate and see what, what's on offer. You can see whether they have check writing privileges, for example, um, and whether there's any sort of minimum that you need to keep in the account. But uh, right now, you know, it's not hard to find... Uh, high-yield savings accounts that are paying out 3%, hmm. which is not bad for all that uh, liquidity and FDIC guarantees. Money market mutual funds have also started to look a little better after a long fallow mm -hmm. period where yields really were barely in the black. We've started to see better yields there as well. As I mentioned, they're not FDIC insured, mm -hmm. so you want to keep that in mind if uh, having that sort of rock-solid sol guarantee is important to you, but we are starting to see those higher yields coming online in, in money market mutual funds. And typically, there's very good liquidity there as well. You oftentimes have a checkbook that you can use alongside mm -hmm. that money market mutual fund. So, Christine, what about those investors who are trying to maintain safe reserves, but maybe they don't necessarily need ongoing access to the money? Liquidity isn't necessarily as important. 
What are some options there? Certificates of deposit are a really nice option. We talked about how they aren't as liquid as, say, a high-yield savings account, but certainly the yields look great. So looking at five-year CDs today, you can find yields of 4% or so. Treasury bills are also having a little bit of a Mm -hmm. moment here in 2022. Um, Treasury bills are issued by the U.S. Treasury. You can buy them at treasury.gov in increments of up to 1% year. You can find some nice yields there as well. And typically, um, your income will be uh, exempt from state and local tax. So another nice feature on treasury bills. And then what about I-bonds? You know, they've received a lot of investor attention this year and a lot of media, financial media attention. What do you think of those as an option? Well, they're a terrific option if you've planned ahead. I think an important thing to remember is that there are these purchase constraints Mm -hmm. surrounding how much you can buy in I-bonds. So it's $10,000 per taxpayer, and then you can get an additional $5,000 in I-bonds through a tax refund. But it's also important to note that I-bonds don't have the same liquidity that you would have with a high-yield savings account or a money market mutual fund, that you can't crack into your I-bond before a year is up. And in order to earn all of the interest on your I-bond and not forfeit any interest, you would need to hold for five years. So you can go ahead and start building a ladder of I-bonds. I think that's a really attractive strategy. But if you're just starting, just remember that the funds may not be as liquid as you might expect them to be. And then lastly, Christine, let's talk a little bit about what not to do with your cash reserves. Are there any account types that maybe if you're really looking for a safe investment, this is not where you should be looking? Well, a couple of categories, Susan. I would say short-term bond funds would be one category. You will see somewhat nicer yields there, but you certainly do not have guarantees. Short-term bond funds have had some losses Mm -hmm. so far in 2022, so I would resist the urge to gun for a little bit more yield in, in any sort of bond fund. And then another category I always like to call out in this context is brokerage sweep accounts, which sit side by side with your investment accounts and typically receive income and dividend distributions, notoriously low yielding account types. So if you have that sweep account and you're using it for convenience, just be sure to clear the money out of there periodically because the yields are really, really paltry. Well, Christine, thank you for your perspective today. And I guess a little bit of good news right. in today's market, right? We at least we'll take, have a, it. <laughs> we'll take it where we can get it. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Susan. I'm Susan Jabinski with Morningstar. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Christine and Susan. Thanks to podcast producer Jake Bankerson, who puts this show together. He's amazing, guys. And I'm thanking you for listening to Investing Insights. I'm your host, Ivana Hampton. I'm a senior multimedia editor, Morningstar. Take care. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances.
Morningstar Research Services LLC is a subsidiary of Morningstar Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.